You're listening to Policy Safari with Rose Jackson. Hey, Rose Jackson here, New South Wales Labor Member of Parliament, and welcome back to another episode of Policy Safari, our dedicated New South Wales state politics podcast. Now, what we try and do in this podcast is pick a topic of interest from state politics and unpack it a little bit, try and get out into the wilds of the relatively unexplored terrains of New South Wales politics and just understand a little bit more what's going on in our state. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about something that affects every community in New South Wales, or at least should affect every community. And that is the way the New South Wales government administers government grants programs. Now, before you think that sounds a bit wonky and technical and doesn't have much to do with you, think again, because in general... The topic of a well-administered government grant program could be kind of boring, but the way that the current New South Wales government has been administering these programs is nothing short of a scandal. The Premier has made an extraordinary admission revealing she believes political pork barrelling is okay. Destroyed documents have now been recovered, showing she personally approved spending tens of millions of dollars just on Liberal seats. Opponents say she used taxpayers' cash to buy the election. No bull from the Premier inside the Australian Museum admitting to an age-old political practice. The term pork barrelling is is common parlance and if that's the accusation made on this occasion, I'm happy to accept that commentary. Referring to the Stronger Communities Council Grants Fund, 95% of the $252 million went to coalition-held seats. Now, there are hundreds of grants programs administered every day by different levels of government. Uh, The federal government has a website and it currently lists over 100 types of grants available for everything from skills training, regional development, literary awards. And it's normal for governments to use grant programs in a way that helps it direct money to local programs and people who need them. That is absolutely what they should be doing. What's not normal is the politicisation of those grants. So they serve the political agenda of the people in power and not the real needs of the people on the ground. And that is what it appears the New South Wales government has been doing. So rewind a little bit. Where did this story start? Well, I spoke to my colleague and friend Courtney Husos, MLC, about her work in the New South Wales Parliament Public Accountability Committee, looking into what has been secretly going on behind the scenes with New South Wales government grants. The Public Accountability Committee was established um, in the Upper House to with a really wide remit. So we can investigate all kinds of things. Previously, we've done inquiries into the building industry, but last year we started looking into the way the government is running grants programs in New South Wales. why, like what prompted that? Where did that, um, the genesis of that inquiry come from? So it started um, because we had been hearing that there were concerns from the community about the way the government was running grants programs. And I think it's really important that we at the outset say grants programs should be fair. They should be um, established so that projects compete on a fair basis and they're assessed on their merits and then there's an announcement made. But we had heard that this was not happening um, and it's prompted um, an inquiry to be established and we started we started our work in um, June last year. Okay. And so, yep, you know, you've got these kind of rumours, you're hearing 
just on the grapevine that maybe everything is not operating um, in a way that's fair, in a way that the community might expect. So you set up the inquiry and what do you find, Courtney? Give us the insight into what the PAC has uncovered on government grants. Well, it's pretty remarkable. And the first thing that we've found or the most egregious example, the worst example that we found was the Stronger Communities Tide Grants Fund. Now, I know that's a really long um, title, but basically what it was was about a quarter of a billion dollars of public money that was supposed to help merged councils. So councils that had been merged that were having issues, it was, it was supposed to be helping them. Um, what we found was that they had this secret round of funding of a quarter of a billion dollars where 95% of the money went to coalition-held electorates. There was no application process. There was no assessment of them on, on merit. Um, and literally the way that they were approved was by ministerial staffers calling local MPs to say, have you got a project? And they'd say, yes, we want this project. There was no assessment criteria. There was no um, open process. And the worst example of this was Canterbury-Bankstown Council, the biggest merged council um, under the under the government's fail, merger process, actually wrote to the minister and said, look, we're having trouble, we really need some more funds. We've been really efficient in the way that we've done it, but we need some more funds. And and at the same time as government MPs were being called to say, we've got this secret slush fund that you can have a part of, Canterbury-Bankstown Council was told there's no funding available. And Canterbury-Bankstown, um, for those who don't know the geography of Sydney, is represented um, by Labor MPs. It's an area where um, all of the local representatives are Labor. So They've written to request assistance. They've been told no. Um, what about councils, Courtney, that weren't even subject to mergers? I think that there was something that came up about this because, as you mentioned, the basis of the project was meant to be to assist merged councils. Not all councils were merged. What happened here? So this is the crucial part that you that you found, Rose, is that the guidelines that were governing the, the fund, and sorry it's so technical, but the guidelines that were governing the fund were amended to allow them for councils that were merged but also councils that were subject to some merger proposals. So what that meant was that the biggest single grant out of a quarter of a billion dollars, $90 million, went to Hornsby Council. Hornsby Council was not merged. It lost a little sliver of, um, of its... Uh, area to Parramatta Council, but was the biggest beneficiary of this fund. So we've got Canterbury Bankstown Council, Labor Hel- Labor Councils, uh, Labor Councillors, Labor Mayor, Labor Local MPs, very diverse, very um, disadvantaged communities that are represented, and Hornsby, a very affluent part of Sydney, gets ninety million dollars out of a two hundred and fifty million dollar fund. As Courtney said. Sorry, this is a bit technical and hopefully you're getting a bit of a picture here. So the New South Wales government set up a $250 million government grant program to help local government. This is pretty normal and in fact pretty good. What's not normal is that there is absolutely no fair or open process to access that money. And in fact, political staff were working behind the scenes to make sure only some communities could access it. Now, obviously, that sounds pretty concerning. Um, That sounds pretty questionable. And I think it's fair to assume that when sums of money of this size are being spent, there is at very least a paper trail showing who approved it. 
So I asked Courtney about what documentation or approvals the committee had been provided in relation to the funding. In the course of the inquiry, what we actually uncovered was that there were some more documents. There were some more documents that had been prepared in the Premier's office, but they had actually been shredded. So the actual document that may have shown the Premier's signature was shredded and not kept. And the State Records Authority have found the Premier's office actually broke the law. So the plot thickens, right? Now we have hundreds of millions of dollars handed out via a process which has no transparency, no clear guidelines, and the critical approval documents have been shredded. So why? Why all this effort to hide where the money is being spent and how the decisions were made? Well, when you break down where the money was spent and whether that seat is represented by a government MP, that's a Liberal Party or National Party MP, or a Labor MP, I think you get your answer. 95% of the funding under the Stronger Communities Fund went to communities represented by Liberal Party and National Party MPs. 95%. They didn't want people to know that they were playing favourites, that they were being biased. Using taxpayer money administered through a government grants program supposed to help local councils to make sure that people who voted for them got rewarded and people who didn't missed out. So was this just one program? Was this just a one-off thing? Maybe a simple mistake? Courtney again. What we've found in the course of the inquiry is that the bushfire grants, which is where we're going to go to next with our inquiry, is run in exactly the same way. There's no application form. There's no application process. There's no assessments. There's no openness and transparency about how this money is being spent. And so we have the example of the council funding and now we've got bushfire funding um, being being done in exactly the same way, which is just, it shows a pattern of behaviour that's really concerning. Yeah, that's right. And I think when these issues were put to the Premier um, by, you know, media representatives sort of asking her to respond to the things that your committee inquiry had uncovered, she basically went, yep, that's fine. That's normal. That's that's pork barrelling. That's what we do. Um, That's how we administer this government. She was, uh, you know, not chastened at all um, by some of these findings and, in fact, was sort of, you know, quite defensive of the government's administration of them. I mean, uh, you know, from some of the other sort of evidence that you've received, is that your sense of the community expectation here? You know, if we're thinking about what local communities expect from government when these, you know, multi-million dollar grants projects um, are announced, are they thinking, oh, well, yep, you know, they're just for government electorates and if we happen to vote Labor, um, you know, we won't get a look in. Is that your, you know, is that your sense of what the community expects? No way. Absolutely not. And I think that this is an important distinction that we have to make between election commitments, which is something that a, a prospective government takes to the electorate and says, if we win, we will do that. That's fine. That That's an election commitment. A grants program is very different. A grants program is saying to the entire community, this is a pot of money for this particular purpose and everyone can have access to it doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter who represents you, doesn't matter who you voted for, and that there will be a fair and proper process for that. And the idea that the Premier would compare election commitments with grants programs shows that she just doesn't understand that. But I think it also goes to we have heard um, consistently that people are outraged that they don't have this fair and proper process. The bushfire funding, which we're about to start looking at um, in more detail, is particularly 
egregious because it's the first time that emergency funding has been used in a politicised way. Politicising emergency relief funding? Surely not. What's the story here? To get to the bottom of this, I spoke to Mayor Mark Greenhill, Mayor of the City of Blue Mountains. I asked him first to spell out to me the impact of the Black Summer bushfires on the Blue Mountains community, so we had a sense of why this issue is important to him. But we had fires on three sides, so we had um, what was known as the Ruined Castle Fire, named after a well-known landmark to the west of the city. We had um, the Wattle Creek Fire, or Green Wattle Creek Fire, to the south. Um, and then, of course, we had the Gospers Mountain Fire um, to, to our north, a fire many times the size of Singapore for land covered by fire. Um, the mountains is a long, thin strip of city along a ridgetop running for about uh, 60 kilometres and you have um, valleys on either side and fire loves to run up valleys. So we were literally surrounded on three sides by fire for, for several months. Uh, the results of the fires are that you know, homes were lost, um, uh, no human life was lost mercifully and um, we're in a long stretch to recovery now still. Um, we lost 70%, 70% of the World Heritage Area. When I say lost, it was impacted severely by fire. Um, the devastation to wildlife is uncountable. Um, the uh, economic effects of the fires um, number in the hundreds of millions um, and uh, uh, literally thousands of local jobs uh, were lost as a result. Um, we had the trauma that the community went through, those directly impacted by fire, those who experienced the fire, the emergency services team who, teams who went out over and over again, day after day, week after week, month after month. The trauma their families felt sitting at home at night, knowing their loved ones were out there seeing the news reports uh, of tragedies affecting emergency services personnel elsewhere in the state, sitting there wondering whether their loved one would come home day after day, night after night, week after week. And then the trauma of a community that, that sat with um, the potential for catastrophic impact to the city for months on end. Um, so that was the, that was the feeling. Um, so hundreds of millions of dollars taken out of our gross regional product, um, thousands, uh, over a thousand jobs lost, a couple of thousand jobs lost, thousands if you count downstream businesses driven to the wall, a community shattered. Yeah, so this is a really good time to make that point that I don't want people to somehow get the impression that I'm against government grants programs. Far from it. They can be so important. And the story of how hard the Blue Mountains was hit environmentally, socially, economically by the bushfires really makes clear how desperately needed this kind of support sometimes is. And I put that to Mark. Um, the fire season lasted many months um, and the impact of that on people coming to the mountains, um, both coming to stay, you know, over summer um, as day trips, mm. that would have been significant, wouldn't it? Just, you know, there was a pretty long period of time in which normal economic activity in the mm. Blue Mountains was completely disrupted. Yeah, basically from, uh, effectively from late October, early November through to the end of January, mm. um, the mountains were largely cut off due to fire. Then we had, opposite today, a significant rain event mm. uh, which washed away our railway 
um, at one point um, and inundated our city and then you had COVID on top. But yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars to our gross regional product, hundreds of jobs uh, lost, um, businesses uh, that went to the wall, not just from the fires but the, then the kick-along effect um, that, that, that occurred with the multiple disasters that followed. But the fires alone cost us enormously. Um, and uh, as I say, businesses went to the wall as a result uh, and uh, jobs were lost as a result. And the sorts of jobs you're talking about are very vulnerable workers. So um, casual wait staff, um, people who work in shops, um, uh, people who are, are casual employees who uh, or part-time employees uh, who uh, count on getting those shifts to pay for their rego, pay for their rent, um, those people are incredibly vulnerable. And as we know, um, as Labor people, um, they, they often live pay to pay to pay. And so um, the effects on, on those people, their families and their lives, as well as the businesses, uh, are devastating. You're not talking about big businesses, you're talking about small businesses. Um, uh, and unfortunately, um, in many towns, in many streets, in the Blue Mountains, there are closed businesses as a result of those fires mm. and the other things that came after. So it's pretty clear that the Black Summer bushfires had a massive impact on the Blue Mountains. And this is exactly the sort of unexpected disaster situation you might think would be crying out for support via a government grants program, an emergency relief program, a local economic recovery program. I asked Mark what happened next. Our council was contacted by the New South Wales government um, in what was called the um, stage one of the, the Blur funding, now famously known, uh, which is a local economic recovery fund. Uh, and um, we were asked uh, whether we had shovel-ready projects uh, in the event that money was available, uh, and we said we did. Um, we weren't given any criteria. We simply asked, did we have shovel-ready projects to stimulate economy if money were made available. We put in a very professional prospectus and we listed out 23 projects across the Blue Mountains aimed at doing a number of things. The first is to stimulate our economy. Uh, the second is to uh, build resilience, things like you know, building road networks in the event of bushfires, upgrading fire stations because we own the bushfire brigade stations, 20-odd across the mountains. Um, building stronger, better town centres, um, supporting places that people can go to during fires, um, and then other stimulus um, projects that um, would, would employ local tradies and local people who would then go to the local shops and build the economy. 23 projects from one end of the mountains to the other. Big, long city. Um, our CEO contacted the state government agencies a few times um, to see how they, our applications were going. Um, we simply told they were progressing. Um, and um, uh, then uh, I read in Michael West Media that um, uh, the Blue Mountains, despite a quarter of a billion dollar loss to our economy during the, uh, as a result of the fires, hundreds of jobs gone. Uh, had received not one cent. Yeah. Uh, and that was, look, I mean, apart from the, the financial impact of that, that's devastating psychologically because what it says to our community is that your experience didn't count. Devastating. After all of that suffering in the communities across the Blue Mountains, nothing, no support, 
Despite the fact the New South Wales government and the federal government set aside $250 million in government grants to support communities affected by the fires. Money was available. The council submitted requests. How could this happen? I asked Mark if he had any ideas. The inquiry, and I've heard the arguments put by the Deputy Premier, well, they just happen to be the seats impacted. But the Blue Mountains was impacted. Central Coast was impacted. Um, you know, it, sh- it should be that every area impacted got a share of that stimulus money. That's my view. Now, they talk about criteria, and this was galling. They said our funds, our, our, our submissions didn't meet the criteria. What criteria? We were never given any. Uh, that criteria was dreamt up later, um, uh, perhaps. Um, they said that uh, our projects needed to be worth over a million each. Well, there was, there was um, $4.5 million worth of projects combined, but no-one ever said they had, each project had to work worth over a million. In fact, a big chunk of the ones they funded weren't. So that argument falls away. And we've had a charm offensive since um, to tell us it'll all be okay come stage two. And all great, there's going to be a stage three. Well, that's fantastic. Accept that and we'll accept the money and spend it well. Except that stage two commences 18 months after the fires went through. So for the businesses and jobs that are gone, it's, it's cold comfort, I'm afraid. Yes, it can be used to re-stimulate our economy, But 18 months after the fires is too long. There it is again. Out of the $177 million fast-tracked from the $250 million bushfire recovery fund, 99% of grants went to seats held by Liberal Party and National Party MPs. 99%. 95% of the Stronger Communities local government funding, 99% of the fast-tracked bushfire recovery funding, The pattern is clear, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. So I think it's worth making one other point here, because I don't want this to get missed. This isn't normal. This isn't okay. It's not just politics as usual. The Premier has tried to defend this rorting of government grants programs by saying it's just a standard part of the political process. The term pork barrelling is is common parlance, and if that's the accusation made on this occasion, I'm happy to accept that commentary. Absolutely no way. It's not acceptable to use taxpayer money to favour your own seats, to favour people who voted for you and forget the rest. We elect our political leaders to represent all of us, without fear or favour. When it comes to accessing support for programs like this, it shouldn't matter where you live or who you vote for. All that should matter is whether you need that support. Okay, so how do we fix this? Well, we can start by making sure all members of parliament, not just Liberal Party and National Party MPs, are consulted and involved in decisions about what communities are most in need of assistance. Mark Greenhill made this point about his community. Well, as poor as the communication was to us as a local government, I was mortified to hear that the state MP, Trish Doyle, had had no, no communication from the government about her own electorate. State members of parliament have got to be communicated with about the needs of their electorates equally. Um, So, as I said, Trish Doyle, Susan Templeman and I formed a partnership during those fires. We do on everything. Um, They had, both of them had an intimate knowledge of those, of the community need. Susan and Trish were not consulted 
and we received a perfunctory, if you, ha- if you had money, do you have something shovel ready you could spend it on? Um, and, and, and I guess one of the things I'd add is that members of parliament, local members of parliament, regardless of their political stripe, need to be spoken to in depth about their electorates because they, you know, a good MP uh, knows their electorate well. Um, and I could tell you now, when it comes to knowing the Blue Mountains, there's, there's nothing Trish Doyle, Susan Templeman and I don't know about the Blue Mountains combined. So talking to elected representatives would be a good start. And on top of that, we need to have a proper, open, transparent process about how these grants programs are being administered. Courtney Hussos explains. We want criteria that the that the what's the grant trying to do everyone who's entitled to the grant should actually have access to it um and what are what's the basis that the grant is going to be assessed on and then a clear assessment and then that and then some financial rigor around the end of the of the actual assessment program so the federal government when of um have a have an online website which actually shows all of the grants programs that are available and who's eligible to get them and something really simple like that would be a great thing for the New South Wales community to have access to. You can check out that federal government website Courtney is referring to at grants.gov.au. How easy is that? Don't go searching for a New South Wales government equivalent because it doesn't exist. That's one of the things we're calling for. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be controversial to say that there should be a proper process around the administration of hundreds of millions of dollars in government grants. It should be a no-brainer that programs that deliver 95% of funding up to 99% of funding to seats held by Liberal Party and National Party MPs do not meet community expectations about fairness and governing for the whole community. But that's what's happening in New South Wales right now, and that's why the government grant story is such a scandal. So that's it for another episode of Policy Safari. Thanks, as always, for listening. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you know people who are interested in New South Wales politics and might want to come out on Safari with us, let them know about the podcast. Thanks to Mark and Courtney for talking with me and Jessie from Creative Rituals for pulling it together so wonderfully as always. Catch you next time.